Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <laughs> I don't even know where to start uh, with Chris Matty because, you know, I, I ran into Chris at, at an event. Our kids go to the same school and he was telling me about this Danbury case and I was like, wow, is this... Bridgeport sort of flooding that out. I didn't know about that. Then I was like, come in and talk about it. And then I was like, maybe I'll ask you about Alex Jones. And then I saw your firm is on the Yale fertility case. I was like, can I ask you about that? And you're like, yeah. And like, oh, we're in Bridgeport too. So you're, <laughs> I mean, like you're in all these cases. Yeah, we've been busy. So it's it's Koskoff, Koskoff, and Beater? Right. Okay. And that's the firm. And so the the original intent of, first of all, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Chris Matty, um, obviously the... I call you the lead counsel on the Alex Jones case. Is that a fair representation? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I will ask about Alex Jones. You're going to be with us for the rest of the hour. Um, and I do. I did not know that your firm was involved in Bridgeport. And I did not know until this morning, until I read the story about the Yale fertility case, because I, I keep a special eye on that because I did listen to the podcast, uh, the retrievals from the New York Times. And you're on that case too. And But I want to start with, with Danbury because I had never heard of it, what was happening. Yeah. So, And I know it's complicated. It gets in the weeds. But for people listening, can you just explain from kind of from the beginning what What's going on with the independent party and the ballots in the city of Danbury? Sure. Yeah. So everybody knows that generally we have two major political parties, Democrats and Republicans, right. but there's minor parties too. And in Danbury, there's a minor party called the Independent Party of Danbury. It's long been controlled by the Republicans there. Basically, Republicans would go to the Independent Party, nominate all of their candidates to appear on the Independent Party's line. So they get a second line. They get a second line. So anybody who wants to go vote says, well, I don't really like Democrats or Republicans, but I consider myself independent, so I'm going to vote for the independent guy, which of course is the same, at least historically in Danbury, as the Republican. This year, there's a mayoral campaign there, and Democrats in Danbury decided that they were going to compete for the independent party nominations. So they went. And they can do that. They can do that, of course. And so they went to the caucus. They organized a bunch of people to register as independent party members, and they show up at the caucus to the shock and surprise of Republicans there who are used to just nominating their own group. The meeting descends into chaos where Republicans who are running the meeting try to adjourn it, they don't take a vote. The Democrats, who are now independent party members themselves, say the meeting's not adjourned. We're going to continue the caucus. They nominate uh, their slate of candidates. A Democratic slate. A Democratic slate. A week or so later, the Republicans, who are very dismayed by this, decide <laughs> to hold another caucus of the independent party. They then nominate their own slate. So now you have two competing slates of nominees of the independent party. And what you have to do to get your candidates on the ballot is deliver those lists to the town clerk. They both deliver them to the town clerk. At this point, um, the town clerk, who happens to be a Republican, decides that she is going to unilaterally invalidate the first slate that was nominated, that uh, is the Democratic candidates, and only place on the ballot the Republicans. The, she, when you say you, she just did it on her own. She did it on her own. And her name is uh, her Janice, name is Janice Giggler. 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 And we'll reach. We're going to reach out to her to talk too. And who are the two people competing? It's 
for, for the current mayor? Yeah, the current mayor is a Republican. His name is Dean Esposito. And the challenger, a Democrat, is Roberto Alves. And they went they went against each other once before, right? Right. Okay, so she, on her own, negates the Democratic slate and puts in the Republican slate. And that's when you come Not in. only does she do it on her own, the Secretary of State's office, in response to a question from her about what to do, told her that what you have to do in this situation is when a party over-endorses, that is, nominates more candidates than a voter may vote for, that nullifies the endorsement. And the Secretary of State's office told her that in that situation, nobody is so on the ballot. So it's just no line. Yeah, exactly. She decides she's not going to follow that advice. She puts the Republicans on the line. And I get a call from Roberto Alves says, look, we're trying to play by the rules here, but we're learning there are no rules. <laughs> what can we do? And so we brought a lawsuit in Danbury uh, just two weeks ago. And these elections cases have to move very fast because, you know, you're up against coming. Yeah. We have a three-day trial in Danbury a week and a half ago before a Superior Court judge. Uh, and just this week, the judge ruled in Mr. Alves' favor, finding that the clerk had no authority to do what she did. Uh, and that was very gratifying. But, but in finding that, what's the result? Then there'd be the, no line? Well, what happened is there were a few candidates for whom there was not a double endorsement. They'll stay on the line, but there won't be any nominee, nominees of the independent party because of the over-endorsement. Now, the town clerk is taking an emergency appeal to the Connecticut Supreme Court, which we expect will be dealt with this week. But in the meantime, voters in Danbury who have applied for absentee ballots aren't getting them. Because um, they haven't been printed. They haven't been printed in the in the way that the court has ordered. So um, we're trying really hard to get this to move as fast as we can, so that voters who are waiting for their absentee ballots can get them. But it's been uh, it's been a wild two weeks down there. If you're on the Democratic side, it's a win even if there's no line, right? So your goal you're not necessarily going steadfast after getting the Democratic slate on the line. You're fine with no line. Well, their their goal was to be on the slate. That's why they competed for the nomination. Now, they couldn't have predicted that there would then be a second uh, caucus held by the disgruntled candidates. But once that happened, then the law says there can be no endorsement. So it's disappointing that, you know, they weren't able to prevail and have and kind of get the benefit of showing up to the caucus and voting for Democrats. That's disappointing. But the fallback, of course, is that the law needs to be followed, and where there's a double endorsement, there's no endorsement. So the last question, we're talking with Chris Matty from Koskoff, Koskoff and Beter here on Bryan and Company. Are you going to argue in front of the state Supreme Court? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is it, I can't ask, is it pro bono? I mean, is this something you're doing just we, to do? We, we do elections cases at, at our firm. We do them pro bono because, you know, honestly, a lot of campaigns and candidates wouldn't be able to afford to pay a lawyer under you know, pretty urgent circumstances, and we consider it a public service to do it. So say you go there to the state Supreme Court and win. What do you win? Do you win a no line or your, or the Democratic slate line, or what do you win? What the Supreme Court – well, it it's hard to say, but what we expect the Supreme Court will do is affirm what the trial court found and basically conclude that the law requires in a situation like this that there are no nominees of the independent party. And again, that's kind of a um, – that's not – Ideally, what we would want, because we think that we competed for, when I say we, I mean, you know, the the folks who showed up to that first caucus competed for and won the nomination. Um, but because there was a second caucus that was beyond their control that the Republicans held, that essentially nullified the endorsement. And we expect that that's what the Supreme Court's going to say. So we'll find out. You know, we're going to reach out to, to Giggler and the, the 
the town Republican Party. I don't know if the Independent Party would talk to us to make sure we get both sides of the story. Uh, but I had no idea. And so, I mean, the first of all, the election stuff and the ballot stuff, I never thought about this. You know, I always just assumed as an American that this stuff was fine. And I mean, I went my most of my adult life totally ignorant to all the shenanigans that must be have gone on since we started this country. I mean, it, it's not just Danbury and, and Bridgeport, but I'm sort of stunned at how messed up things can get in our country when it comes to this stuff. Chris, I don't know if you wanted to have a little, put a ribbon on the Danbury talk. Yeah, you know, I would just say in response to what you were saying earlier is that, you know, my view is that most local officials who are administering our elections are acting in good faith and doing their very best. That's that's always how I've felt. There are certain situations where you may have an incumbent party that's been in power so long that they've developed a sense of entitlement and and a willingness to use their power in ways that they shouldn't. But I, I don't think that that's the norm. But I, I do think that it's great when our legal system provides recourse for people who have been hurt by that sort of abuse of power, and that's what I think we did here. Chris Matty, Koskoff, Koskoff, and Beater here on Brian and Company. I didn't know that your firm, I, I want to go to Yale because I listened to the retrievals. I had some problems with the podcast in the sense that if you if you can't get the woman at the center of it, I felt like journalistically it was, but it was, I felt like they needed that and some other elements. But the story was so outrageous that I, I mean, I felt it was important, a really important listen. And so now these women are suing Yale which did a terrible job of responding to this situation. And if you don't know the story, basically a woman was stealing fentanyl that was supposed to go for pain management for uh, IVF treatments. And so the women were going through, many women went through it with no pain relief. And, and, the, and the thing is, is that there's an underton- underlying of like sexism in the sense that you didn't, no one respected the pain that they were suffering. If you went to the dentist, my metaphor was, you went to the dentist and they did a cavity and they told you they gave you Novocaine or they looked like they did but didn't and you were screaming in pain. That's like the dentist saying like, what are you doing? Like, I just gave you a bunch of Novocaine. Like, sit down. I mean, that's basically, I mean, you imagine the pain that you would be feeling if that happened. And so now they're, they're, there's no compensation for some of the trauma, but there is... A lawsuit. So, like, I know you're not directly involved in the case, but your firm is on this case. Like, what is Yale going to settle? Is this going to go to? I can't imagine Yale with their fifty billion dollars. Wouldn't they want this to go away? Well, I mean, it was shocking when we first heard about it, and my partners Josh Koskoff and Kelly Fitzpatrick are handling this case for, I think, at this point, over sixty Yale patients who went through this situation. And um, when when you think about the fact that this went on for years and that patients were repeatedly, repeatedly saying to Yale, hey, listen, this isn't how it's supposed to feel. I'm in a lot of pain here. And their complaints were ignored or, you know, suggested that they were crazy or it, it, it's... It's the type of thing that patients, I think, a lot of people can relate to when, you know, they're experiencing something in their bodies. They know it to be true, and they're being told by others that it's not the reality, that they must be imagining it. Or, and, and what it shows, I mean, and what we've alleged is that this was just a systemic failure by Yale to listen to their patients and also to monitor this nurse who was stealing fentanyl for a very, very long period of time. So... Um, you know, in terms of how the litigation is going to progress, it's hard to say. We're committed to, you know, getting as uh, as as 
much justice for these women as we possibly can. And, you know, our hope is that Yale will eventually take responsibility for what it did. But they're fighting it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're in litigation against Yale right now. It's, I mean, if you listen, I mean, it's it's pretty stunning. And and it it's just <laughs> it's just a terrible look for the university, if, even though if it's a small subsection of the whole brand, it's still the brand. And, and I mean, you don't know when the next dates are for that stuff, do you? I mean, no, okay. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, we, we just filed a, another complaint on behalf of additional women who uh, came forward over the last couple of months. And so, you know, the litigation is still in its relatively early phases. Yeah. Yeah, it just happened last week. We're talking with Chris Maddy from Koskoff, Koskoff, and Beater. And I would be remiss if we didn't follow up with Alex Jones. Uh, are these people ever going to see the money? And what is he doing now? And how is he? I mean, the basic bottom line is he's, he's trying to act like he's bankrupt and has nothing so he doesn't have to give anything. Yeah, so it's actually been a year since the jury returned its verdict. Jeez, has it really uh, Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it, but a year ago... Uh, a jury returned a $1.4 billion verdict against Alex Jones and InfoWars, which is the largest defamation verdict in American history, largest verdict ever in Connecticut history. Um, and so over the past year, he's been pursuing an appeal in the Connecticut appellate courts, which we always expected. And in the meantime, he's filed for bankruptcy in Texas, both personal bankruptcy and he's put his company into bankruptcy. And the idea there uh, was to see if he could kind of discount what he owes the families by seeking bankruptcy protection. And what we have argued in the bankruptcy court, and we expect a ruling on this very soon, is that, you know, when you engage in the kind of intentional and malicious conduct that Alex Jones did, you can't get any bankruptcy protection. Those debts are not what are called dischargeable. And if the court rules in our favor, which we expect to happen, my my expectation is that the bankruptcy will quickly conclude uh, and we will either be collecting Jones's personal assets outside the bankruptcy court um, and and then kind of using that process to uh, to go after Infowars, which is a wholly owned. And this is all happening in Texas. This is all happening. in Texas. So do you have to employ a, another another firm or do you have to take the bar in Texas? Or something? No, I'm not a bankruptcy yeah. lawyer. So we have the assistance, the pro bono assistance of. Um, a firm called Paul Weiss, uh, which has been incredible in kind of representing the families in the bankruptcy court. And we've been closely partnering with them on depositions and discovery. Wow. But yeah, they've been um, they've been our uh, our representatives down there. And you said the ruling is is coming soon. We expect it very soon. Yeah. In fact, we expected it this past week. Um, and so I'm I'm thinking that it's going to be we're, we're right on the eve of getting that decision. Okay, because it has to once you hit Thanksgiving, then you're talking the, the next year. So you really need it in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we, we expect it's on its way down. And so you guys are also, I mean, we only have two minutes here, but you're also, again, you're not directly involved with the Bridgeport case, but where, you know, Joseph Gannon's supposed to take the stand today in Bridgeport over the ballot stuffing. And there's just so many hours, and no one knows what he's going to get asked. I don't I have no, I mean, I don't know if you have any insight of that, but it's, it's it's a pretty unbelievable story, and I, I don't know how it's supposed to end. It's, you know, it's a this one is kind of a, a, a shocking story. My partner Bill Bloss, who's just an incredible lawyer and has dealt with a lot of elections cases, represents the challenger there, who is alleged that, um, who is alleged that during the Democratic primary, 
there was fraud in the absentee ballot process right. where people were basically delivering absentee ballots that they had no business handling into these drop boxes. Uh, and that case has been going on for a week. Um, and my expectation is that the fraud seems to have been so significant. And when I say fraud, I just mean that the absentee ballots were being delivered by people who weren't authorized to handle them, that um, that what the challenger is seeking is a new primary, and I think he's likely to get one. But if they do that, how do they do that? Because he's on the ballot anyway, right? Would they just cancel out the primary and just go straight to the election, or do they redo? Because you only have a month, less than a month. It's wild. The court doesn't have any authority to push back the general election. So this general election that's going to happen in November is going to happen. Um, and if Joe Gannum wins that, and yet the, tr- the trial court here decides that the primary was tainted, there will then be a new primary after the general after the election. Ele- I mean, yep. That doesn't make any sense. In December. And depending on who wins that, there would be a, a new general election sometime the month thereafter. So Gomes could lose the election, win the primary, and then there'll be another election which he could win. Correct. It just seems that, honestly, like the numbers relative to participation in the primary makes it seem silly. It just seems like it's just like silly. Uh, Chris, I wish we had more time. Uh, I mean, this I can't believe your firm is involved in I mean, these are like the, the biggest cases in, in Connecticut, like bar none. Um, so I appreciate the time and the insight. Well, it's always a pleasure to join you, Brian. Thanks.